contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. Welcome to Hammer and Grind, the podcast built for contractors, real contractors, true stories, real solutions. My name is Brad Hebner, and I will guide you on your journey to mastery of your construction business. You can find Hammer and Grind on all the social media platforms. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast. Now, if you're looking for more help, you can check out our free Facebook group called the Contractor Profit Group. I do free trainings in there, and it's a great community to be a part of. Now, if you're serious about making more money, saving more time, and creating a business that supports your lifestyle, check out my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. I've put together a proven system for creating a winning business. Now, listen, I'm so confident that you will succeed in my program. I'm now offering a 10x ROI guarantee. That means if you don't make at least a 10x return on your investment within a 12-month period, I will refund you the full amount. You can find out more information about The Profit Club at hammeringgrind.com forward slash The Profit Club. All right, guys, I got a special guest on the show today, Luke Miller. Luke is the host of the Tile Money podcast. As a tile contractor, he found himself listening to a lot of business podcasts. The result from all that listening, he built a stronger contractor business and completely changed his life. He decided the tile industry needed its own podcast, so he said, if not me, who will? Luke is completely dedicated to building up the entire tile industry, starting with the often overlooked tile installer. Luke, thanks so much for being on the show. You're welcome, Brad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, Luke, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, what's what's tile money, how that came about? Just kind of set the tone for us. Yeah, thank you. Got started in the tile installation industry at about uh, 17 years old in Tucson, Arizona. And I really, you know, took to it. And I ended up moving out to New York uh, when I was 20. And I was set in tile in New York City. I got a different education out there, of course, and uh, continued my apprenticeship in tile. And then when I was 24, I moved out to California and continued tile and got even more apprentice, you know, and why I say that is like from the East Coast to the West Coast to the, to the middle of the South, North, wherever, they're installing tiles slightly different. They're using slightly different building practices. Sometimes different manufacturers are represented regionally. So I kind of got a well-rounded view of tile. And then in 2008, I received my uh, California specialty tile license. It's the C54 California license for tile specifically. That is my trade. I've never really I've dabbled in a little bit here and there, you know, during the recession, I got into property maintenance. So I, I got a little bit more familiar with some of, you know, painting and sheetrock and a little bit of light electrical and stuff like that, light plumbing, maintenance stuff mainly. But then I got back into tile once the recession started, you know, once the recession was over and about, you know, things, work started picking up and I decided it'd be a good time to be a contractor. And so I capitalized on that and was building a business, but I still struggled with the business side of things, even though I had my craft down. And I started listening to podcasts and I really was able to change my business around by just applying the things I was hearing in these podcasts. And so I was searching for a specific podcast that was talking to me, the tile installer contractor, 
And frankly, it just did not exist. There wasn't a tile podcast, a specific tile industry podcast that I could find. And this was like 2017, 2016, when I was really starting to get into this podcast world. So that's why I decided to launch you know, the Tile Money podcast. And I narrowed in on the subject because I thought, what better than to provide an outlet for business discussion, something that was lacking and something that I felt was needed in the tile industry. And it took off. We're coming up on four years and 200 episodes. We just, this week, in fact, was our 200th episode. And it's growing, growing. We got a Facebook group. And I'm, I'm just really happy to be able to be a part of the movement of helping and assisting tile contractors to build sustainable, profitable businesses. That's awesome, dude. 200 episodes. Congratulations on that. Thank you, Brad. I'm doing my own podcast. I know what it takes to, <laughs> to produce and do all that stuff and schedule guests. And it's a lot of work. I don't think people sometimes realize how much work goes into doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man. So you you had a lot of experience. I'm curious when you from New York to California, like that has to be like two totally different worlds, almost like different planets. Yeah, it kind of is for sure. <laughs> I mean, we were dealing in, in New York City, we were dealing with, you know, I was working in high rise buildings. So we were very much we learned, you know, waterproofing. I, I learned waterproofing for the showers. I mean, you, you really can't have water spilling over you know, going down floors in New York City in tall buildings, I should say, it's the last thing you want, right? So we were really attentive. The company I worked for out there was really attentive to that. In California, they've been building with what we call mud, or it's a cement in uh, Portland and lime for your walls, and it's it's a it's a thick, it's you know three quarter, five eighths to three quarter inch thick walls, mud based, you know, cement based walls that you would kind of consider old world. And then their yeah. waterproofing is a tar. They call it pot mopping. It's a black yeah. tar that you they would put on the roof. A, a while ago, I don't know if it was the 60s or 70s, the roofers came up with a formula that could work in showers. And so they waterproof that. And that's pretty much very predominant out in California. So I learned that system. And you won't learn that system anywhere else. Uh, so like in New York and everything, I learned topical waterproofing as well as vapor barrier water mitigation. Those are two different systems. We could talk about them a little bit, but there's really two different ways to build a shower, either water in or water out or topical waterproofing, which is kind of the the most dry. That'll be the most dry for your shower. And, and, And that hot mop is the water in, water out system. So I learned more about that in California, but there's other little things too. You know, like I said, different manufacturers are present, um, different products to try. From east to west. Yeah. Yeah. I know that there, I mean, I think I've mentioned before in a message, like I, I've done tile. I'm pretty good at tile. I do not consider myself to be a professional tile setter whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it probably takes me three times as long to do a tile job than the most, than a professional tile setter would do. But I think the end product's probably pretty close. But that being said, it, for me, it's a love hate relationship. Like, I like the end product of doing tile. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate the process of installing tile. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that to be like similar for a lot of people or is that just me? It, it depends. Um, I, I don't think you're alone. I was on a podcast the other day and they asked me what my favorite part was in it. The first thing that came to my mind was grouting. And it's really not the act of grouting so much as it is you're at the finish line. <laughs> like you yeah. can actually enjoy 
your work and you can put those final touches on it. You know what I mean? So what, you know, I'll repeat, it's not like the act of grouting that I'm just like, oh God, I'm just loved grout today. I mean, it's, you don't have to think about it for one. So by the time your brain's, you know, my brain's fried, you know, solving different problems along the job, but then grouting is just like, all right, I know, I know you know, it's like riding a bike, you know, you just do it. You can yeah. think about whatever. It's a good Friday, Friday job, right? But the, the point is, you get to see the final product. And so I think your feelings and my feelings are similar to most people's. Detail-oriented people are really good with tile because they can just zone in. You know, there's so many little details. Those of us who are maybe a little more distracted or whatnot have a little more difficult time when it comes to some of the details, you know. I think that's just the way it is. Well, yeah. I mean, there's and there's so many different ways of doing things, right? I mean, I, like... I'm in your uh, Facebook group and, you know, people are posting pictures all the time of stuff. And it's like, well, why did you do that? Why did you leave a grout joint there? And this Mm -hmm. and that. And it's like, dude, there's a million different ways of doing things. You know, sure, there's probably some best practices of how things should be done. But for me, it gets overwhelming sometimes, especially with all the different techniques and, and products that are coming out constantly. Like I just saw you guys did a a, a live training with uh, panels. I can't think what's that. What's the material called? Yeah, porcelain panels. Porcelain, uh, yeah, porcelain panels. Depends on what country, but I mean, porcelain panels are pretty universal. They're these huge panels, five feet by 10 feet big. You know? Yeah. I've done cultured marble panels, like for shower walls and stuff, you know, big mm-hmm. sheets of cultured marble. That was a pain in the butt. I imagine the process is similar to that, but you're talking about one gigantic tile, essentially, a big panel of a tile, and then installing it. So, I mean, there's just so many different things. And then with, you know, with trends that come about and change. So for me, the tiling is, again, I'm, I'm fairly decent at it, but mm-hmm. I get so frustrated doing tiling. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. I see. And I, I, I sympathize with those feelings and I'll, and I can expand on that. I just want to touch on the panels real quick. The panels. So they're, they're closer to glass, the glass industry than okay. they are the natural stone or, you know, like you're saying, marble slabs. First of all, they're, they're as thin or thinner than glass. They can be as thin as three and a half millimeters thin, and that'll have a, a mesh resin back, epoxy type back, backing on it. And then the typical stuff we're, we like to work with are, you know, we'll work with it all, but eight millimeters. So just under, a, you know, right around, you know, eighth inch, under a quarter inch for sure is kind of the typical eight millimeter size of these panels. So moving these things around, being that thin saves some weight. They're still heavy. You know, you still pretty much yeah. need two guys to lift these things and they'll break easy like glass. So you can't really, you know, it's, it's a different, different kind of trade. So there's a lot of logistics to it and moving and handling is, is the biggest aspect of these things. I mean, there are some homes where you just wouldn't even be able to get a full panel in, in a bathroom, you know? Yeah. I already don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've installed plenty of shower doors, you know, yeah. frameless shower doors and stuff. And I, yeah. that that's nerve wracking by itself. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine having to cut it because you typically have to cut it, make it fit in the you know walls and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not for everybody. I mean, a lot of tile people, tile installers will say no, thank you right off the bat. Like you just did. Yeah. What that smells like to me is opportunity for, oh, the, yeah. for the brave, I mean, you you know, for the ones yeah, for the special that's money right there. That's, yeah. uh, as you yeah. say, that's tile money, right? <laughs> that's right. 
So let's, I, I want to jump into the Tile Nation. I know you have the Tile Money podcast. What is Tile Nation? Yeah, thank you. So that is the panel portion of it. So with Tile Nation, I have three partners. So with Tile Money, it's it's me, myself, and I. It's a podcast. It's a community. And we're building it up and evolving that. With Tile Nation, I have three partners. So there's four of us. We're all in the industry. Two of my partners in that are full-time panel installers. So they're they're installing these full-time. They might do some other tile work as well or flooring, but pretty much they're doing panels every week. And then the other one is a flooring installer, a, a contractor, a tile guy. And together, we came together to provide advanced training in this trade. There's a lot of one and, t- and some two-day trainings. They're more classroom style. So we wanted to take it deeper. Adam Christensen came up with a five-day program. So we we're actually in class for five days and it's a hands-on class. So you're working with a team of three people, three to four at max, and you are installing a mock-up sh- shower and a mock-up bathroom floor. And that's our advanced training with Tile Nation. We do have some larger goals and some some more things we're going to attack in the future, but this is kind of what we saw as a a pressing need and something we could execute on. So we've done three trainings in Omaha at our facility there in Omaha, and we're going to do two more this year, one in September and one in October. Awesome. So the Tile Nation is kind of really more centered around the panel, the large format panels. Is that, I mean, the installation? 2022, as of 2022, we have some other big goals in the industry. Um, We're working on some things. And we're also with Tile Nation, since I have partners, I felt confident to launch a mastermind group, like a group coaching yeah. for tile contractors. So we're doing an, some online advanced education and we're doing the panel education. Next year or the year after, we're going to get into uh, showers. And what's happened in the tile industry, as I mentioned earlier, the California contractor license, it's up to states, individual states, and even individual counties and you know individual cities even will sometimes have different licensing for tile. And for the most part, by and large, it's just no licensing. It's it's right. It's it's just get your seventy five dollar business license and then you're a tile guy. Five hundred dollars. So what that's done, you know, five hundred dollars in tools. It, you could probably be a tile guy, you know? So what that's done is it's kind of really lower the barrier to entry. The reason we think that's a mistake, especially for people building sh- custom shower assemblies, because a shower is basically a sink. So when we have plumbing, you know, we have all these regulations because you don't want water going into your home. But what's kind of fell through the cracks is the shower. It's the, in some states, in some counties, the plumber will waterproof it. Or, you know, make that shower basin. And in some counties, in some states, the tile guy will. And there's some confusion in places. Some of the plumbers are doing things wrong. Some of the tile guys are doing things wrong. And there's no barrier to entry. There's no nationwide license that says you are a custom shower fabricator. And so that's one of my partners, Craig Herrmann, has been working on this for five years. And we're going to continue to work on it. We've kind of hit the pause button because we realized that we need to strengthen Tile Nation as a core before we attack something this large. It's a very large goal. It's ambitious. And Craig and Tile Nation have made the most advancement that I know of to this day for shower licensing or tile, a nationwide tile license. And we really hope to implement this in the coming years. Um, like I said, we're kind of 
cruising along and strengthening our core business and maturing as a business before we attack that one. Yeah, that, I mean that makes that makes perfect sense because you can when when you're when you go to the essentially the government, you know, the people that are writing the codes and stuff, you could say, look at us. I mean, we're an established business and we have twenty thousand followers and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. it definitely adds credibility. So I, mm-hmm. I think that would be a smart move on your mm-hmm. behalf. It sounds like the tile industry in general is it's kind of similar to the handyman industry because that's how I started was in the handyman and then kind of went into remodeling and started doing tile and stuff in that, like you said, you know, a hundred bucks and a few tools and you're a right. tile guy. Well, that's like even, it's even less of a barrier entry to be a handyman. Like a lot of places don't have licensing. Right. I mean, literally if you have a, you know, a, a hatchback and a hammer, like you can call yourself a handyman. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's totally unregulated. It's almost like the Wild West and a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I definitely see the benefit in that. Like in, in Indiana where I'm at, you know, the like plumbers are are licensed by the state. Mm. Like you have to have a state license. It's the only trade that requires a state license. All right. But like where I'm at, there's a big city and you know, the 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 county and the and the city building commission, you know, regulate all of the the licensing. But I mean, you can literally go 10 miles west to the next county and you, you could be a homeowner and build your own house. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Like crazy. there's no requirement yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. So it's just like, obviously the bigger cities are going to have the most regulation and in the, in the, in the country and counties are not going to have much at all. Yeah. So I can definitely see that as, you know, industry-wide being a, a huge hurdle to have to to take on. But like you said, if not you, who will, right? Somebody's got to right. lead the charge. So yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And we are working with the larger industry. Craig has a, um, a technical committee with the TCNA, which is the Tile Council of North America. And that committee is, I think, about a dozen people and working with, with at least two industries, um, the plumbing and the tile industry. And then Craig since he's kind of taken this upon himself and, and made a lot of advancement, he's somebody who's went to work on this problem and really outlined a, a viable solution. And the reason he's so passionate about it is we see failures all the time as contractors and handymen and whatever. I mean, you show up and somebody is in tears because they bought something. They were, you know, sold by a slick salesman perhaps, and then it failed or it's just complete garbage and they're having to redo it and they might already be 5, 10, 20, I mean, whatever amount of money into this thing. And, and they're sitting there crying and there's, there's literally no recourse because there's no license. And oftentimes the people who will build failed showers, I mean, they undercharged. So if you build a shower for two or $3,000, which a lot of people are doing, believe it or not, they don't have money. You know, they don't have money in the bank. What's that homeowner supposed to do? They can't really go after a broke contractor because he doesn't yep. have money and he might just change his number or whatever, you know, disappear. So that's really what spurred Craig's mission on was seeing too many of these failures and not having a viable solution. So really, we're looking at this as a solution, yes, for the, for the end user, the homeowner, the client who bought that shower, because they look to the city and the city says, who'd you hire? And there's no solution. There's no licensing. So it's ultimately the city's responsibility to provide their taxpayers a working solution to this problem. And so we're providing cities nationwide the solution to their shower problem. 
because their taxpayers don't deserve to be kind of hung out to dry if, if they buy a shower and it fails. I mean, and, you know, with a plumbing, a plumber or an electrician, you know, we talk about their licenses like they're important as they are because it's electricity and it's water. But when the shower, you know, it's, it's that, like I say, it just got overlooked or got fell in between the cracks. And there's some tricky wording in there. I don't want to go into it all. And for, furthermore, I, I'm not the best person to, Craig, my partner is, but there's some, some really things we could get into the weeds with him. But it's, it's an interesting subject for sure. And it's, like I say, it's a, it's a big goal, but it's, it's a worthy cause. And, you know, I think it was, uh, I forget who said it, but, you know, success is the pursuit of a worthwhile goal. And we believe this is a worthwhile goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I agree with everything you said and, and what you've discussed as far as the industry. I, I went and looked at a job. This was many years ago and it was a tile shower that was installed and it was a large shower. I mean, this was like a six by six, I call them, you know, swinger showers. You could get four people in right. there um, right. and uh, it was leaking under the curb. Mm. Water was coming out sure. under the curb and some of the tile was loose and I, I was able to pull it off. And whoever did this, they literally used concrete for the pan with mm-hmm. no waterproofing. I'm talking about like quick, like mixed up quick crete bags of concrete. Wow. And then use that as the pan yeah. with zero waterproofing. Wow. And they charged them, they charged them $10,000 to build this shower. Sure. And they wanted it fixed. And I said, I have to tear the entire thing out and redo it. And it's probably going to be another ten, fifteen thousand dollars dollars $15,000. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you said, what do you like? People don't have another fifteen thousand dollars, you know, available to fix something. It was only a year old. Well, and the sad thing is, and you're right. Like a lot of times, they don't have ten, or they don't believe they do, or they just don't want to spend it, yeah. or maybe they bought the shower for five. Like, let's imagine. I've seen this scenario a hundred times. They'll buy a shower, say for five thousand, and it really should have been a ten thousand dollar shower, yep. and it fails. And then they call the professional and they say, "How much to remodel or rip it out and replace it?" And it's supposed to be a $10,000 shower. So, and then you got to rip the old one out. So you might come up with a number like 12,000. Right. Well, they say that's way too expensive. The last guy only charged me five. And then they they go searching for another person to give them another $5,000 shower. Oftentimes that one will leak as well. And I, I'm not just making this crap up. I mean, I've 20 plus years in this industry. I've seen it a bunch of times. (laughs) It's crazy. Oh, I mean, you've, you've probably done a hundred times the amount of things that I've done. I, I, exact same happened on another job I did where they, the guy bought a house, it was leaking. He hired somebody, they came in, they tiled right over drywall in the shower, mm-hmm. like literally over the drywall. Right, right. Two months, two, I mean, two years later, it's, it's moldy and everything. I'm the third contractor to come in and, and redo the shower. The second one that the homeowner paid to have done. The first wow. one was the new construction when they built right. the house. Sure. Yeah, those it's will fail like, pretty quick. <laughs> you know, and so, the and the and the customer's still complaining about how much it costs for me to come in and do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you get what you pay for. That's true. That's very true, especially when it comes to showers. You know, doing a, a backsplash or even like a floor is not going to be as critical, mm-hmm. but a shower has to be done right. Like, there's no mm-hmm. there's no wrong way. You can't do it wrong. It yeah. doesn't work. Right. So. I, I was curious, what did you, when you started, I know like you, you said you, you did a lot of podcasts and you learned a lot about business. What have you noticed about the tile industry that you felt needed to be changed? Like what was the biggest thing? Was it just education? Is it 
permitting? Is it licensing? Like what, what do you feel like is the biggest thing about tile specifically uh, as an industry that you think needs to be changed? Well, I'll just, I'll just relate my experience. So in 2008, I got licensed as a tile contractor and this, this issue isn't just tile. I mean, I think a lot of the trades have this issue is we focus on the craft, right? We're, we become craft, you know, for those of us who do spend the time to do an apprenticeship and, and really take, we, we really take a lot of pride in the skill of it. But often, like in my case, um, you know, you, in my case was different, I guess, but often what we see is, is apprentices leaving the nest early. And I guess I'll say I did this too, but I, I moved to New York and then I continued my apprenticeship there. But they'll leave the nest before they're really, you know, tradespeople because they're not being treated well in the company. I think if companies could work on developing a better career path, we would retain more employees and be able to build, you know, scalable companies if we treated our employees a little better. And I've found and highlight, I love highlighting companies that do this on my podcast because it's like, this is the way. You guys are all complaining about employees leaving after you get them to be a tile installer and then they leave follow these people who are retaining 70, 80% of their employees, just do what they're doing. And so, but the problem is we have this resistance to talk and I don't know if it's American culture or just tradesmen or whatever, but we have a resistance to talk business. We like to talk shop. We like to talk tools. We like to talk products. We like to talk craft, but we don't like to talk business. And in 2008, when I got my contractor license, I was slow on work. And I was on the John Bridge forums and I was asking business questions and I kind of got shot down. So I just stopped asking business questions there because they didn't want to talk about business. They wanted to talk about waterproofing and which blade to buy, all these things, which is great. Those great conversations to have, but nobody was talking about business. Well, 10 years later, you know, I, I'm on, I'm now in Facebook and it's talking to some of the same people and some of the, in the same conversations, which blade to buy, which waterproofing to use, you know, yada, yada, yada. Well, nobody wanted to talk about business again. And so that's, you know, I'm just emphasizing why I, again, felt the need to start the Tile Money podcast in the Facebook group as well, to really start that conversation, just to provide a place for people to talk business. And that's all we do. Like, I delete posts where they're like, which waterproofing to use? I mean, I'll, I'll direct them to another group. And some of those posts slip by me, but the mainstay of the group is business discussion. So, you know, if we only could just talk a little bit more about business and share some business insights and strengthen each other's businesses, it, it'd be good for us. It'd be good for our employees and it's good for our clients and communities, you know, and we can retain employees longer and give them a career path. Be proud of our, you know, we can stop doing things under the table because we're, we're making enough money. I mean, we can be proud to be business owners instead of like, well, I'm a, I'm a contractor. I come in and I work for an hourly rate and, you know, I take pride in my work, but I don't take pride in my business. So we need to be more prideful of our business because it's something to be proud of. And building a good business is good for the community, the tile community and your local community, your cities and, and all that good stuff. So that's, you know, that's really my answer. I hope it wasn't too long-winded there. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's great. I, uh, you know, after about the fifth, the 5,000, how much should I charge for this job post? Right. <laughs> it's like, 
man, if you don't know how much to charge, like if you don't have any clue, maybe you shouldn't be owning your own business. I, I've seen people like literally post comments in Facebook groups, not yours, but other Facebook groups where it's like, yeah. hey, I started in construction six months ago and I want to start my own business now. Right, right. How, how do I do that? And you're like, dude, like, come on now. <laughs> like, you're you're going to end up screwing a lot of people and, and maybe not even on purpose. You know what I mean? Right. Like just out of not knowing how you should yeah. do things. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's a, uh, that's great. You mentioned one thing about like the craftsman. So I, I have a, I have a podcast. It's the craftsman, the businessman, right? Which is exactly what you're talking about. We're all, we all know how to be craftsmen but we don't know how to be businessmen. And so I do think that the, and part of this, the reason of this podcast and hammer and grind is to teach contractors how to be better businessmen. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't even really talk much about the craft side of things. Mm-hmm. It's all business. It's all making, you know, charging what you should be charging, right. getting paid right. what you're worth. And I've, I've noticed and tell me if, if you think I'm wrong on this, but it seems like a lot of guys in the tile industry they, they have what I call the employee mindset, which mm-hmm. is they have a business, they own their own business, whether they're a subcontractor or they do what I call retail where they're working and, you know, selling their own jobs, but they still like believe like they're an employee to the customer, mm-hmm. right? And like the customer's almost over them, like higher than them. And it's their job to make them happy. Do you see that a lot or, or am I way off on that? No, I get it. No, I agree. I agree with that 100%. One thing in my life and when I was a contractor that really helped me was reading and list, probably probably a listen to it, read it, however you want to consume it. The book by Robert Kiyosaki, The Four Quadrants of Business, I think. or the And the first quadrant, I guess, is uh, was it employee? And then the second quadrant is self-employed and then business owner and then investor. And I think that's right. the way it goes. And so the the leap from employee to self-employed isn't very big and it can it can look and feel the same because like you're right. saying if you're if I go out and I'm a I'm a solo tile installer and and I'm not a I am a business owner in a sense but 100% of my paycheck relies on me so I'm still employed by every single client in other words, if I'm not working, I'm not making money. So then you would graduate. And, and some people are perfectly fine there. And I love, especially in the tile industry, because it is an artistic trade and it's a final trade, we do have a lot of single installer companies and they're, art, they're artists. And for these people, if you're talented and you put your time in, like you said, it's a process, but 10, 10 15, 20 years you could be charging $1,000 a day. You could be charging $2,000 a day. You could be charging $3,000 a day. It's really up to you and your client. And if you're doing super high-end work, now why would anybody need to charge that much? Well, again, it's all up. It's, it's you and you alone. You, you break a leg, you get sick for a yeah. month. It's, you know, what are you going to do? So you have to have reserves and your reserves have to have reserves, especially if you're a family man. You know, you're taking care of your family and then all of a sudden you're sick. You don't have a business and that becomes really apparent quick. So as you graduate to the business owner, now you have things in place to where you could get sick for a month and eventually your business would be okay if you can do a little communication or whatnot. You know, that's really the goal. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I mean, and and I think there's even like a middle section, which is when you, when you graduate from being an employee to being a subcontractor, 
mm-hmm. you own your own business, mm-hmm. but for all, for effective purposes, you're still an employee, right? You're an mm-hmm. employee to the general contractor. Sure. And you, yeah. you don't have to worry about marketing or advertising or any of that stuff. Right. And then you're like, well, you know what? Now I want to try and get my own work. I want to sell my own jobs. And that is a huge jump. And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of them will... They, they miss the mark on like, okay, now that I'm going retail, I actually have to charge more money because I'm now spending money on advertising. I'm now spending money on vehicle wraps. I'm now spending money on things that I need to you know, advertise the business. So there, there's definitely some jumps in there. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a subcontractor. I mean, I, there's guys that make really good money just as a subcontractor and they don't do anything else. My plumber, mm-hmm. he's a one-man right. show. And yeah. he does well over six figures a year yeah. working by himself. And I mean, he took all his letters and stuff off his vehicles because he, he yeah. too many people were calling him. He's like, yeah. I, I'm getting too much business. He's like, I only want to work for, you know, six or seven contractors and that's it. Mm-hmm. And he takes off for three weeks if he wants to. And he does this. I mean, like he created the business around the lifestyle that he wanted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly. like, that's, you don't have to become a, you know, 30 employee business and doing $10 million a year. Like you don't have to do that. Yeah. You, know, you, you can just be a one man show, but you need to make sure you're charging enough to be able to live that lifestyle. Yeah. So I, I think that's, I mean, we're, we're talking about the same thing. Like a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, all contractors, but specifically here, tile installers, you know, they make that jump from employee to self-employed mm. and they don't, they don't jump the pay up with it or right. the mindset. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. It takes a lot, you know, if you're a subcontractor and you're relying on six to 12 or whatever number of, you know, builders or contractors to feed you work, your overhead's less, you know, yeah. you might not even need company shirts or company lettering. Like you said, you might not want it because you've got your six, you got your 12, whatever, you got your number. And maybe, you know, you add one or two every year and you drop one or two, you know, you should always be, for those of you subcontractors, like that's what I would recommend. Always be searching for a better fit. Add trade one up. or two. Yeah, trade up. Get rid of the low-paying ones. Get rid of the ones who are causing you a little bit of headaches. And your your business will continue. And that's how you scale that business is you're always looking. But you're not necessarily, you know, it depends on how large or how fast you want to do it. But um, I agree. You know, once you graduate to, oh, okay, I'm going to sell to homeowners. I'm going to sell to direct to the client, the end user. Now, all of a sudden, you have... A lot more overhead, a lot more time invested in selling that job, and your prices better be more because you got to cover that overhead and that extra expense. Plus, absolutely, just keep the cost up. Like, figure out what that builder is charging for those showers. Figure out what the average shower is going for in your area, and why would you want to undercut it? You know, if you're good, you would want to price it a little higher. Well, truth be told, the builders are probably underbidding the showers. That means you're definitely right. getting underpaid for what you're doing. <laughs> that's that's the case a lot. Yeah. I mean, you know, I talk to home builders and remodelers and landscapers and all different trades and across the board, like probably 75% or greater don't charge enough for what they do. The construction right. industry as a whole has been depressed in terms of the the pricing for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing's changed. You know what I mean? So now is the time, like now is the easiest time, honestly, right, to right. be able to raise your prices because there's so much demand for it at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, it might have been a lot more difficult to, to raise your pricing. But yeah, definitely agree with that. 
you know, one thing that, and this might be controversial and somebody might get upset when I say this, but this is just my observation. Uh-huh. Contractors in general across the board tend to have, a lot of them will have ego, right? And, and whether uh-huh. it's pride from the work they do, which don't get me wrong, like you said, a lot of them are artists and do things that I couldn't never do. And so there's a lot of pride there. Do you, I, for me though, it seems like, and this is just my opinion, it seems like the tile industry is almost a little bit worse than the others in terms of <laughs> ego when it comes to the business side of running their business. Would you mm-hmm. agree or disagree with that? I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to agree. You know, I, I recently kind of okay. discovered, <laughs> I recently discovered, you know, this kind of my ego was getting in the way of, of the podcast and my business my businesses yeah. and things of this nature. And so I realized I was, you know, I'm doing a lot more self-reflecting and personal growth as I approach 40, you know, it's like, I don't want to remain the same. I don't want to, why would I want to remain in my thirties mentality? You know, why would I want to, you know, you should always be looking and, and looking to grow your personal mindset as well. And so I kind of came to the realization that my ego was causing issues and I'm working on getting rid of that ego. And with Tile, yeah, I mean, we get egotistical easy, you know, um, we do take a lot of pride in it. It's a finished product. So those of us who really care have to, you can never make it perfect, but you're striving for it, you know, and as you're leaving that job, you're picking things apart every time. And with the business, the thing I see is, is someone shares a success story. Hey, I charged $10,000 for this shower. And you'll have a dozen guys or gals jumping in there and saying, well, well, guys do it more than gals, but they'll say, well, I charge six. So either they'll say you're ripping your client off or yeah. no, you're lying. It's a fish story. Right. You're exaggerating because I charge six. So in my opinion, it's like they're just limiting themselves. They're putting the glass ceiling on and they're saying, I'm already there. Well, you got nowhere to grow. So it's your ego keeping you there. Yeah. Well, and you know, again, like there's so many factors too. Is it, was it, is the guy a subcontractor or is he retail? right? Like those two guys could both be charging what they need to be charged for their business respectively. And neither one of them may be right or wrong. That's a good point. Yeah. And I, I came to that realization too, Brad, because I was living on the central coast of California in Monterey, California, and then later in Morro Bay, California, but they're both on the coast. They're both expensive areas and they're, they're both full of really good contractors who have been around a long time. Some of these guys own their homes for a long time. Some of them inherited homes from their parents. Some of them inherited businesses from their parents. And so what they had to charge to run a profitable business was way different than Luke Miller, the 25-year-old or even the 30-year-old who was starting a family and whose rent was two or three times what their mortgage was and and whose insurance was more because I was young and whose this was more. And so my overhead for you young guys and for you older guys, when you see young guys charging more and talking about how hard it is, understand it's not just bullshit. These guys, their cost of living is more than yours. If you own a home or you've, you've bought a home in 1970 for $75,000 on the coast of California that now costs somebody 500000 and rents are triple what your mortgage is, you know, or whatever. It's like, you have to understand that both the cost of life and the cost of business is more for a young contractor. So 
for both of them, they should both know their numbers. You're right. And what one needs to charge is different from what the other one is. And it's as simple as that. And again, you're in charge of that reality and you're in charge of your profitability. Do you want 50% gross profit? Do you want 10? Do you want a hundred? You know, do you want 70? You know, it's like, figure it out and, and go for it. Yeah. That's always my response. Whenever someone posts, how much should I charge for this? And it's like, I don't know. Like you need to know what your cost of living is. I mean, to to do the exact same project in California is going to be probably 30% more than what it costs here in Indiana. Right. Just because of material costs. Like, you know, people don't realize that materials cost different across the country, depending on location for the exact same material. Right. Right. So I, I honestly have no idea how people have businesses in California. Like, I don't even know how it's possible because they're, they're, the way that they do stuff is so crazy and so expensive. Like, it just blows my mind. <laughs> I was born in the Midwest myself. Yeah. And so one of the big differences is most people will live in a 1,500 to 2,000 square foot house would be on the larger side. And most people won't have any toys. In the Midwest, uh, most people have toys. They have a boat, they might have a jet ski or two, and they might have a snowmobile or two. And they might have this and they might have that and they might take longer vacations. Most people in California will have a pair of tennis shoes and a basketball, you know, so we less, you know, or a surfboard, right? It's surfboard, you know, snowboard, different things. And it's not like there's not a lot of toys and a lot of money, but the average working class person is just going to, their lifestyle is less. And so it's like, I always said, you know, for the, I tried San Jose Bay area and I was like, for the cost of living and being so far away from the ocean, it, not that you're that far away, but you're not going to go to the ocean. I'd rather live in Arizona. I mean, I'm in the desert anyways. I know if I move to Tucson, my expenses are going to be a lot lower. I can get a dirt bike. I can get this. I can get that. You know, and that's kind of the way I looked at that. So that's why for me, coming from the Midwest and from New York, I wanted to live on the ocean. I was willing to live on the ocean in a small apartment and a surfboard because that's really what I treasured for those years. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you're you're paying for the location, right? right. No doubt. You're paying right. for the access to the beaches, the water, the 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 weather, all of that stuff. I would not live in California simply because of traffic. Right. Right. I, I lived in. I was in in the military. I was on Camp Pendleton for two years. Mm out there and that was enough for me to realize I'll never live in California. <laughs> yeah. Just going down I5 uh <laughs> was enough for me to realize I never want to do that. Yeah, it's true. It's crazy. <laughs> so uh we're coming up on uh, the end of the show here. What's one piece of advice that you would have for tile contractors that are listening to this? And what's the biggest piece of advice you can give them? Well, first of all, listen to the Tile Money podcast. <laughs> there you go. Second of all, if you're growing a business, join the National Tile Contractors Association and join it with intention. Pursue after you join. And there's no easy buttons in this life, right, Brad? Like you can hire Brad to coach your business. You can listen to all the podcasts you want. They're not going to change your business unless you want that to change. So if you listen to this podcast, it's it's nece- it's not necessarily going to change your business, but if you heard one or two things that you can apply to your business, do that. So when I say join the NTCA, don't just join it and think your business is going to improve because it won't. Apply and, and dig for the treasure. And the treasure is the people. The treasure is always the people, right? No matter what we're talking about. Because inside the NTCA, you join them, you're going to have access to 
some of the best and biggest and smartest tile installers, tile contractors in the United States, you show up to one of their events, you go to one of their board meetings as a member, and these men and women will take notice of you. They will shake your hand. They will get to know you. And you can ask them anything you want. They'll have a beer with you afterwards. They'll do this and that. And you will get to know them and develop lifelong friendships in a lot of cases. And I've seen it with my own two eyes. I never joined the NTCA as a young contractor. And I wish I would have. But I also probably wasn't in a position to fly out to a trade show and all this and that. But if I knew what I, if I had heard somebody tell me this and I was struggling and somebody told me 500 bucks gets you an NTCA membership or is it 600? I don't know. They get, they turn around and give you $2,000 in product vouchers. So you could buy two, you could literally buy $2,000 worth of thin set. So you just made 15, 1400 bucks <laughs> that you can turn around and sell your client. So that if you just did it for that reason alone, where else, Brad, do you know that you will get a five to one guaranteed return on your investment? Yeah, not not too many places, especially so, within the government. <laughs> if I was installing showers today, I mean, that's one thing you could do. Just join the association. They're going to turn around and give you $2,000 in materials that you are going to use if you're a tile guy, I would yeah. assume. And you can sell them to your clients as per shower or whatever. But then you could take it further and show up to one of these events, make it your goal, you know, save up all your, if it's going to take you all year to save up, make a vacation out of it. That's a tax write-off. We should all be looking and wanting tax write-offs. So first of all, the 500 is a tax write-off. The trip to Orlando to go to coverings next year is a, is a write-off. You could, you're, if you're a family man, they can go to Disneyland. You could make a, a, a five-day event, you know, the, there you go. and then go to the, go do your business, go to the NTCA meeting introduce yourself and make some friends because why wouldn't you surround yourself in a room full of successful tile contractors if that's what you want to become? And so that's why I say join the NTCA for all those reasons. If you're going to be on social media, be productive with it. If you're going to be in the Facebook groups, why are you there? Either to ask a question or to answer a question. And if you're in the Tile Money Facebook group, it's a, it should be a business question. And go in there with that intention and then you'll start to improve and just Make 1% improvement every day, you know? That's all it yeah. is. Just make a little bit of improvement. I think that's great advice for joining the organization. And I, I, I agree with you. I think uh, to summarize it in one word, intention is, you know, and I, I did a podcast earlier this year about being intentional. Like that's what it comes down to, being intentional with your time, being intentional with the work that you're doing and the effort. So I definitely love that advice. How can people find out more about Luke and Tile Nation and, and Tile Money and all that stuff? Like what? So for Tile Money, tilemoney.com is our website, tilemoney.com. Tile Nation, it's thetilenation.com, thetilenation.com. Same for Instagram. It's the same. It's like the period, tile period, nation, and just Tile Money, at Tile Money. Uh, we're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And the podcast is heard on Spotify as well as about more than a dozen other podcast listening apps. So just search Tile Money wherever you are. You should be able to find us. Awesome. And I'll get those, I'll get that uh, links from you and put them in the show notes. So if, if you're listening to this podcast, you can just go to the show notes and get those links. And the last question I got for you, Luke, is, and I like to ask everybody this, is what book are you reading right now? Or if not one, what was, what's your favorite one? So I, it's my second go on this book here within probably 60 days. 
And it's called The 10 Distinctions Between Millionaires and the Middle Class. And it's written by Keith Cameron Smith. It's a small book. It's a short book, 10 short chapters. And it's more of a mindset book than anything. I mean, if that word millionaire bothers you, it's just the 10 distinctions between success and unsuccessful is you could replace it. But millionaires in the middle class, like I said, it's mindset. It's 10 little mindset tips. And well, I'll read like, a couple chapters here of the titles here just to give a little bit more. But it's really showing me that anybody can pursue, you know, wealth or building a business or whatever. It's just putting into practice what others before you have done. And it's just little tiny things, you know, like distinction number nine, millionaires talk about ideas, the middle class talk about things and other people. And so now that like you, once you read that chapter, now that I have that knowledge, every time I start talking about things or other people, wait a minute, that's not how millionaires think. Why don't I talk about an idea instead? You know, it's just something simple like that, but it's really amazing how it it really works and really starts to change your thinking process. Oh yeah. It's pretty much 99% of everything in life is mindset. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to pick it. I have not heard of that book before. That's why what's one of the reasons why I asked this question is for myself. So I'm sure. going to look at that and pick that up because I love those, uh, the type of like mindset and those types of things about wealth and uh, millionaire mindset. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. That's all I got for you, Luke. Any final thoughts or? Oh, I always, I always finish with uh, stay profitable tile friends. <laughs> Perfect advice. I I love it. So guys, if you want to find out more about me or my coaching services, check me out on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Discord simply by searching Hammer and Grind Podcast. And until next time, guys, you know what to do. Be the best version of you.